Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the weekly live stream. My name is Ryan Polly. I recently watched a YouTube original on the age of AI. Um, how far is too far? It's hosted by Robert uh, Downing Jr. and very interesting. And back in September, I had a discussion uh, on my podcast, which you can find a link to that below on my website, uh, on transhumanism, this idea of blending humans and technology, and, and really, what does that look like? And so really what I want to do today is I wanna kind of work through some of the aspects of this new YouTube original, The Age of AI, and help you think worldviewishly, help you think biblically, and maybe gain a, a better understanding of wrapping our minds around why technology matters, how we can use technology well, as well as uh, what are maybe some, some issues or some ways in which our worldviews affect the way that we see, use uh, technology. And so... Um, that's gonna be the goal today. And, and really this is important because we're surrounded by technology and, and we're surrounded by people who are constantly using it, uh, who are, are, are creating social media profiles, who are posting everything that they do and see. I'm posting what I'm doing right now here on YouTube. You're watching, you have your profiles. We live so much in this digital age. And so I think it's important for us to understand really how our worldviews and how Christianity and a biblical view of the world really should affect how we see and use technology well so that we're not taken captive by the way the world does things that maybe takes a, takes us away from a Christian view. Now, I think this is also going to play in well to my next live stream with Brett Kunkel of Maven, a worldview really organization where his uh, conference coming up in February is going to be focused on helping parents and youth leaders really navigate a world of screens well. So how do we navigate this world of screens? How do we help our students? How do we help our kids really focus on using Technology, social media, entertainment, YouTube, Netflix, how do we use it well and not be consumed by this digital age? And so that's gonna be the next live stream, I think really getting more to the practical aspect. So today's conversation is gonna focus more on what makes a human a human? Uh, am I just my data? Am I my technology? Uh, and then Monday is gonna be this conversation on really uh, how do we make this practical? How do we make this real in our lives? How does this affect the way that I use my cellular phone every single day, my, my smartphone? So that's gonna be hopefully what we're gonna be doing and hopefully that's something that's interesting to you in these next two live streams. So as I kind of mentioned, uh, my wife and I, we, we test out this new kind of YouTube original series, The Age of AI, How Far Is Too Far is the first episode. Right now there are three episodes uh, and it's hosted by Robert Downing Jr. And it really, and it follows kind of two stories in this first episode of talking about how far is too far. Now, one of the storylines I'm not going to talk a lot about, but it is uh, the storyline of a, a, a guy, actually two guys, who have had their arms amputated because of accidents and, 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 and things that happened to them in their lives, and, and how to create better prosthetic limbs to really give them the functions back that they want to have. And so one of them is a drummer. And since he lost his arm, uh, he has kind of resulted in trying to tape a drumstick to his his limb uh, to try to continue to play drums, but it really doesn't have that feel. It doesn't have uh, what he is used to when it comes to drumming. And so he's teamed up with this research scientist at, at Georgia Tech University uh, of how to create a prosthetic limb that functions more like a human hand and 
gives him the ability to have that feel, have that sound that he's looking for in his drumming. And and I'm not going to focus, as I mentioned, I'm not going to focus a lot on this, but I want to say something here really quick that I just thought was so cool. And that's that from a Christian view, we should not be against technology, right? The Christian is not against technology because I think what it does is it shows us a few really cool things. Is one thing I think it points to human exceptionalism. I think it really shows that really look at what humans are doing. Look at what humans are able to create. And from the biblical view, we are created in the image of God and we are sub-creators. God created us in order to also create. And we're not meant to be people that sit on the couch and watch TV and just play golf, right? As you're planning for maybe retirement or maybe you are retired, it's, it's not a life that we're, okay, now my work is done. I am done, right? The biblical view of work is that God created work before the fall in the Garden of Eden. Work is good. Work is something that God made us to do before we messed everything up. And I do believe that in the afterlife, we will also work. And that is one thing that, I mean, think about it. When you work, when you produce things that are good, it gives us that sense of accomplishment. It, it really, man, it, 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 I mean, even God in Genesis looks at things as, wow, this is good right? And there's almost that sense of, I created this. This is good. Look at what I've made. And then he created us to do the same. He created us to take care of creation, to steward it well. And, and so when we look at things, right? As, as if you've watched my show, if you're new to my channel before, I work for an organization called Maven, which is what Brett Kunkel started, who's going to be joining me on Monday. And one of the things I do is I do worldview uh, uh, apologetics and theological immersive experiences and mission trips. And you can find out more at maventruth.com or .org. But uh, one of the trips that we do is I, we take students up to Berkeley and we train them in theology and, and apologetics and worldview. And we have conversations with atheists and students at Berkeley. But one of the trips that I went on, we also did a worldview aspect where we took students up to the Jelly Belly factory just north of San Francisco. And we looked at the machines and the assembly line and the things that humans are able to create. We took them over to the Golden Gate Bridge and we said, look what humans were able to do. Look at the intelligence, look at the design, look at what humans are able to do. And I think that that goes to show with this, this show, it helps us see with this show, this idea of human exceptionalism. We don't see other creatures creating the information and designs and technologies and the things that humans are able to do. But one of the coolest things was, was that this show talked about how previous artificial limbs, right? At the very beginning, prosthetic limbs were simply just a plastic or some sort of you know material, some mold that just puts on. So it looks like a hand, but it really has no function. After that, they created it to where it has technology, to where it can sense the, the, the nerve endings firing in your limb and it allows for the hand to open and close. And so it just has that basic function of opening and closing, now giving that person the ability to grab things and to use it for some functions, but it is very limited in just opening and closing. And so this new prosthetic limb that they're creating in the show, and I thought it's so cool, is it has not only the sensors to, to tell when the nerves are firing in the limb, but it also has ultrasound technology where it sees which nerves are firing and which muscles are moving in the forearm so that it can now actually, for the first time they were saying, move individual fingers and give more, kind of mimic more a real human hand. 
And so if I'm watching this with students, I want to help them see a couple things just kind of from this first part is, is this idea that look at what humans are able to do and we are created to use our minds in amazing ways. Our minds should not be put to the side. God has given us these talents and abilities and we need to use them well in whatever area we are at to do things better, especially in the sciences. After one of my recent talks I gave at at the Rethink Student Apologetics Conference on science and faith, I had a girl come up to me and say, can I be a Christian and a scientist? And my answer was not absolutely, not only absolutely yes, but we need more Christians in the sciences, sciences. We need more Christians using their talents and abilities to create beautiful, good things that can be used to bless and benefit so many people. It's amazing when we can use this well, but also be able to think in a correct ethical framework of how to use these technologies well without damaging other people. But um, it's just so cool to see. But then I also want students to be able to see it as I'm walking through this and talking through it of, you know, how far is too far when it comes to this technology? And obviously when it comes to prosthetic limbs, you know, where my stance generally has been, my position is that restorative kind of biotechnologies are good, enhancement biotechnologies, not necessarily, right? So if we are are giving people abilities that they should not have, that is giving them an unfair advantage, we know from a Christian worldview that with our sinful nature, we will take advantage of that and we will use it wrongly. And so how do we put a limit on restoring what is broken, right? So I'm wearing contacts right now. My eyesight is bad. I'm restoring it back to what it should be compared to this idea that I'm going to actually cut out my eyes and I'm going to give myself bionic eyes that allow me to have superhuman vision that now gives me this ability that other people don't have. How then could I be using this wrongly? And so, as I mentioned back in September, I did two interviews on transhumanism. Actually, this book I'll hold up right here, Humans 2.0. It is the scientific, philosophical, and theological perspectives on transhumanism. And transhumanism being this idea of actually using technology to think uh, about how we can continue to evolve, so this is not a Christian view necessarily, continue to evolve, continue to get better, and actually become post-human or or beyond human because, you know, we're human now, but one day technology will advance us past that point. Now, this book and these interviews, which you can find in the description below, they focus more on kind of the more biotechnologies of, 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 of gene editing and things like that. But what we need to think about is also kind of these technologies. So you can check out that interview. It was, it was very fascinating. Now, what I want to focus on, though, in, in, the, in the time that we have is actually the second aspect of this and, and some really some questions to consider. So, you know, we have gone from, you know, I think we need to be careful in the technology that we use, however it is that we're trying to advance humans, as going from just ad- attaining progress becoming more advanced, finding out how to create things better, how to use our time more efficiently, uh, being able to, you know, uh, grow more food at, at, you know, at at cheaper and better ways to be able to feed people and and help and become more, uh, help progress versus are we using this technology? Are we using this artificial intelligence actually to attain salvation for humanity? Am I trying to become immortal? Am I trying to create a digital version of myself that then can live on past me, as you kind of see in these Black Mirror episodes, if you've ever seen that show, that I'm trying to actually get 
immortality. I'm trying to attain salvation apart from the work of Jesus Christ, right? Forgetting maybe that in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, it says, you know, so do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we sometimes have to maybe take that step back when it comes to technology and biotechnologies and think about, what am I focusing on? Am I focusing on the things that are seen and trying to make the seen physical things eternal, knowing that the Christian view says, no, these things are transient. These things are going to fade away. They are going to rust. They are going to decay. They are going to be destroyed. And rather, I need to focus on the things that are actually eternal. And recognizing that Jesus Christ is the means to salvation, not our advancements in technology. But, you know, how can we better engage people? This is another question to think about. How can we better engage people who believe that technology is the key to our future? Right? It obviously will help in our future. But if this is the key, this is what is going to be our salvation. How do we better engage those people with a biblical Christian view? As I talked about, you know, before with the eyes of, you know, what would be an appropriate response to a person who asks that their otherwise healthy legs be removed so that they can walk or run faster and never tie out, tire out, right? It's one thing to have your leg have a problem and have to have it amputated and then try to restore it back to normal with, with a prosthetic limb. But what if someone wants their otherwise healthy legs removed so that they can get kind of bionic limbs and, and, and gain that unfair advantage. How do we think about this? You know, what does a utopian world look like for a non-Christian compared to that of a Christian? These are important kind of questions to think about. Now I'm running out of time and I want to jump into this other part. I said I wasn't going to spend too much time on that part and I did. Uh, But the second aspect of this show, How Far Is Too Far, the Age of AI YouTube original on YouTube, is it actually followed the story of Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. And what they were doing with him is that he wanted to create a digital version of himself. So he said in the show that a friend of his came up to him and said, look, you can't clone yourself. You can't be at two places at once. And he says, but that's the promise of an avatar. What if I could? What if I could clone myself? And now, you know, someone I see commented here about, so what do you think about clones? Um, You know, there's a different aspect, I think, uh, that we'll get to maybe at the end. But here, he's trying to clone himself, not as another living, breathing human, but as a digital clone, a digital version of himself. And if you saw the thumbnail, the thumbnail I I posted, you know, I am uh, my data. And this is a quote from Will I Am, where he says this in, in the show. I want to have a digital avatar around, sorry, I want to have a digital avatar around the idea of digital identity, right? So digital identity. And here's, he defines it and he says this, quote, that's the marriage of my data and my identity. I am what I like and what I don't like. I am where I go. I am who I know. I am what I search. I am my thumbprint. I am my data. That's who I am. I want you just maybe stop and think about that for a second. I am where I go. I'm who I know. I'm what I search. I am my thumbprint. I am my data. Is that true? I don't think so. Now, I think that there's some truth to it in the sense that what you search for and and where you go and what you know and what you like and what you don't like, it does show people who you are, right? Our unique characteristics, the things that we like and don't like that make us kind of unique. But that is not who you are. 
right? It, it conveys who you are. It, it shows us about who we are, but that's not who we are. But what, what kind of, I mean, implications would it have if we actually live this out? You are your data. That's who you are. You just are what you like and what you don't like. That's who you are. Rather than this biblical view of you are a child of God. You are created in the image of God. Right? And this is where our, really our worldviews come in of, of really, where does your identity come from? Where, where does it come from? Is it, is it just simply, are you your brain and the, the physical processes that are taking place in your brain? Or is there something more to you like a mind? Now, you will often hear from kind of a non-Christian perspective that maybe the mind or the, the consciousness is, is simply a, a non-physical, maybe emergent property of the brain. It's just a property of the brain. The brain is there and it has this property, just like water has the property of being wet. You know, the brain has this property of, of the mind or consciousness. And so you have questions in this show that talk about, you know, how do we build a character that is truly autonomous? How do we, can, how do we make intelligence and robots that have free will. One guy said, we don't program machines. They learn by themselves. The problem with that though, is that these machines are programmed to learn. There's programming that goes into them. The machine would not be able to do anything if you didn't program it. You know, but they, 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 they think that they believe that machines will interact with us just like we interact with each other. Now, I think from a Christian view, I would say, no, machines, maybe we can better design them and program them to mimic human interaction, but they will never be truly human because they are not conscious. They don't have a free will. They don't have a mind because that's not something physical. We have minds and consciousness because we're created in the image of God, an eternal mind. And he gave us these things. It's not just a property of your brain. So how far is too far? Well, they also went on to the show that says, we are all cyborgs already. Really? <laughs> I'm a cyborg? Well, he says, you use OkCupid to find a date. Then you use Yelp to decide what restaurant to go to. And then you jump in your car, you start driving, but there's a GPS system that tells you where to go. Humans and machines are tightly interwoven, and this will only increase going forward. That's what one guy here in the show said. Well, it's true. Humans and machines are tightly interwoven, but does that mean that I am a machine or that machines are humans? No. The biblical worldview says there's a distinction, but from a non-Christian worldview, from a materialistic, only the material worldview, or sorry, only the material world exists from that worldview, what is different from a human and a machine? From a purely materialistic worldview, only the material world exists. I am my brain. I am the physical, chemical processes that are taking place in my brain. And therefore, what is different? What is unique about humans compared to a machine, compared to your computer? The answer actually would be nothing. Maybe I have more intelligence. Maybe I'm programmed. I have more memory or something. But I'm just a physical process if that worldview is true. The Christian worldview says something differently. And so um, what, what I want to say is, is, look, what makes us unique? So J.P. Moreland, if you don't know him, a philosopher from, from Talbot School of Theology, Biola University, incredibly brilliant guy, wrote some awesome books on the mind and consciousness. But he argues that the mind is not just a non-physical emergent property of the brain, but it's actually a distinct substance. And, and he gives a few points. One is that it is our awareness of ourself, right? As you know, I think it was Descartes that said, I think therefore I am, right? We, I am aware of my own existence. Your computer is not. 
Your my computer sitting here in this room is not aware that it is in my bedroom right now. It doesn't. It's not aware of itself. It's not aware. Physical stuff isn't self aware. Humans are. There's something unique about humans. He also says that we we know that it's a distinct substance because the unity of our minds. His third point was that our minds. Uh, our mind's first person perspective, kind of what I just talked about there. Uh, an argument that he gives here, here, number four, is the sameness of ourself over time. And here's, I think, a very important point. If you're going to ask, who are you? I often, uh, when I give a talk on the mind, I ask people, uh, when, when were you born? And they normally will give their birth date. So for example, I was born in 1988. Okay. So you existed in 1988 for me. Yes, I did. I existed in 1988. Well, was the body that you have now, was the body that I have now, did this body exist in 1988? And the answer is no. So you think about from a purely physical standpoint again. When I take my phone, when I take anything that's physical and I begin to switch out the pieces one by one, when would you say that I have a new phone? If I trade out 100% of these pieces, 98% of these pieces that are in this phone, would you say that I have a new phone? Yeah, right? If you have, you know, a common example is a deck on the back of your house, a porch, right? And you have a wooden deck and you take every piece of wood off and you put a new piece of wood on, you would say that you have a new deck. Well, as the cells in our body, if I'm purely, if I'm only my body, as the cells in my body turn over, die off, produce new cells, Am I a new person? If I take my deck, if I take something and I cut it in half, do I have a new thing? It's definitely changed dramatically. But would you say that you're a new person if you lose an arm or you lose a limb? No, I existed in 1988. Well, then what about you existed in 1988 if your body is different? Right, that there is this sameness of ourselves over time, even though we are growing, we are changing, we are uh, learning, and maybe we have different interests and, and talents and abilities and those sort of things. There's still the sameness of myself that does exist over time to where I can say I existed in 1988, even though the things I like now, I didn't like then, even though the physical body I have now didn't exist then, even though the beard I have now wasn't there then, right? We still have the sameness of ourselves. And so look, we, we have souls. We have something that doesn't, that, that makes us unique and separate from machines. And so, you know, when you, when you think about this idea that I am what I search, I am my data, how does this impact us? Think about how many people that just live for social media. Think about the people that they're constantly posting their life. And, and if their pictures don't get enough likes, they delete them because, oh my goodness, what is, how does this going to affect me? Rather than how can I use technology, social media, entertainment well for the glory of God, for creating beautiful things, for enjoying one another and enjoying relationships. We are being, I think, shaped by our culture, shaped by this materialistic, physical view of the world that I am simply the things I like. I am just what I like rather than I'm a child of God. I'm created in the image of God who has given me desires, given me likes, given me things that I can enjoy. I now become just that, my enjoyment. And I think that is a very shallow view of human life. But then how then would this also affect how you look at other people? 
If you look at them as you are just your data, you are just what you like, you are what you search, rather than you are someone who is a valuable human being, where your value is intrinsic, it comes from who you are, not what you do, how's that going to affect how we treat people? If you are just technology, you are just, uh, as, as what they said here, you're just an avatar, you are just a machine, you are just this digital cyborg, how do we treat computers? How do we treat technology? Not well, right? We use this stuff and we, 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 we don't love it. We don't cherish it. We're not in relationship with it. Thoughts that I have on this is, is, is that, look, when we see this kind of technology, we can create it to mimic humans, but it can't be humans. And what I thought was really cool is even with the drummer example, of trying to create this robotic hand that can function like a human hand. They weren't able to recreate a human hand. And I think this is a huge argument for creationism and for God, in that the most intelligent people in the world using crazy technologies and machines to recreate a hand cannot do as good as an unintelligent, unguided process. Are we saying that an unguided, not divinely guided, but you know, guided by random mutations and you know, genetic natural selection and, and genetic mutations, that an unguided, unintelligent process can do better than the most intelligent people in the world? I think that's interesting. Right? If, if we in the lab cannot create something that is even close to mimicking the, the abilities of a human hand, doesn't that show how much more designed the human hand is? If I look at a prosthetic limb and I say, look, this prosthetic limb cannot come into existence through purely natural process. This needs an intelligent science to, scientist to build it, to program it, to fit it, to, to be able to do what it does. If this prosthetic limb needs intelligence, an intelligent designer, how much more does the hand it's trying to mimic also need an intelligent designer. And so I think that this shows the human exceptionalism. This shows the way that God has designed and created us that we can't even mimic. And we're trying to create robots. We're trying to create technology. We're cr trying to create artificial intelligence that can do things that humans can do, but they can't. There's something unique about human beings that I think a secular worldview simply cannot explain. It's trying to figure out it's trying to learn, but that's why, you know, some people say it takes more faith to believe in this stuff. Look, it just makes more sense if you go, why do humans have these abilities? The existence of God, an eternal mind who is all-powerful and all-intelligent and all-knowing, creating us with these abilities makes a lot more sense than the question than saying, well, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. And if you're going to have an evidence-based position on life, I think the Christian worldview is based on more evidence that we have good reason to believe where first life came from, where a secular worldview goes, we don't know the origin of life. I have good reason to believe who created the Big Bang, who started the Big Bang, who started everything at the beginning. Secular worldview says, we don't know. We're still trying to figure it out. And I, and I encourage the, the advancements in science to try to figure these things out, to, 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 to continue searching for those answers. The problem is, is that the more we search, the more it points to intelligence and design. 
So I just I think that this show was was fascinating. I, I love the technology and the ideas that it's presenting. And, and what I would want to do is I would want to take a step back. I'd love to watch it with students, with kids and have them watch it and then begin to ask them questions and be able to say, OK, how do we how do we look at the worldview perspectives of this? How do we think biblically about this subject matter? Why does it matter? How can we use technology well? Where is this intersection between humans and technology and machines? How much do we or can we blend? How much are we unique? How far do you think that we will go? And I think this is a great conversation starter to have with your friends and with your students and with your kids. And hopefully this has been a learning experience as I've tried to model how to watch, maybe not Christian made, but watch entertainment and enjoy it as well as think biblically about it while we ask those deeper questions. Now, this was originally filmed on YouTube as a live stream, as you probably heard in a lot of the language. And that's one of the big exciting things is that this year, with the f donations that I received, as I talked about on the podcast before, I was able to purchase an interview software that allows me to live stream better on YouTube with a lot of really cool features. And so the, the first interview I used it for was actually my interview with Brett Kunkel on navigating a world of screens, practical tools to guide you in this digital age. And that will be aired on the podcast over the next two weeks. But this episode that I talked about here, the thumbnail says, well, I am my data. The title is, will machines be just like us? And the advantage of going over to YouTube is that this goes on for another seven or so minutes as I address some of the questions that came in during this discussion that I'm kind of restricted on time here at the podcast. And so I can't give those to you as well. So if you want to check that out, you can go over to YouTube, type Ryan Polly in the search, subscribe on that YouTube channel and get the full live stream where you get to see me, see the person I'm interviewing as well as interact and ask those live questions. For everything else, follow all the ways that you follow Coffeehouse Questions. I love how you guys interact and follow and listen, and I appreciate it. I pray that you have a blessed day. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pauly.